went to the doctor I said I'm feeling kind of rough Let me break it to you son Your shit's fucked up I said my shit's All right so hey Mike and Michelle from Tennessee how are you guys doing Doing good how are you doing Hey Mike good doing good welcome to Skating Tweets Michelle you know the last Skating Tweets we did um, I don't. I don't remember. It was that Airbnb in Washington, D.C. with the bed bugs and the person having <laughs> th- three rooms of Airbnbs with a one bathroom. That and was it, funny. She had three three Airbnb clients in a two-bedroom house. <laughs> uh, one of them was in the living room. And I'm, I made him paranoid because he was messaging me. Mike doesn't know the whole story. He was messaging me about being there, and I said, did you check the... <laughs> bed for bed bugs and so he does that everywhere we go <laughs> he told me later on it really made him paranoid he like tucked his pants into his socks and everything yeah, just... you can't you can't get away from those things like that they love getting in those little tuck spots <laughs> i didn't anyway. even take my pants off mike i pulled my socks up over the bottom <laughs> of my cuffs and i zipped my it was winter time I zipped up my jacket and i just crawled under it i mean i'm not going to repeat the whole podcast but it was it was uh, <laughs> funny that's what we used to do on the flight deck in the uh, nuclear, chemical, biological uh, warfare drills. Tuck our pants into our socks, just so you know. Keeps everything out of there, that's for sure. Yeah, bed bugs, nuclear weapons, the whole oh, thing. Okay. Well, thanks for joining me, you guys. This is a, a podcast we're going to do on Warren Zevon, the musician. Um, now Warren Zevon died in 2003, a long time ago, so... Um, it's, it's kind of a jumbled podcast. I did a little bit of research on him. Um, Michelle, you and I have done some scathing tweets and they're all over the map and all over the highway. So I'm, I'm glad you could join us, Mike. I, I, Michelle said you, you were kind of a fan of Warren Zevon. You know, all I knew about Warren Zevon until she mentioned this to me was werewolves of London and, uh, lawyers, guns and money. That's all I knew. And over the last 48 hours, I've learned quite a bit about Warren Zevon and I can't believe I missed this guy. I mean, he was, uh, he was a real figure in the music industry and had a lot of friends with very recognize, recognizable names. Um, really cool guy, really, really interesting guy that lived uh, really a, a, a very, uh, very cool life. Yeah, I think so too. What about you, Michelle? Had you ever even heard of him before? I don't, I, I don't know very much of him about him at all i didn't know the name i didn't know really anything i mean i can't even believe that <clears throat> but it's true i didn't and um we just watched tonight after my got home we watched a documentary of him on youtube the and, vh1 documentary yeah uh, after and we found out he had cancer it was really heart-wrenching and of course once I got into it and I heard a lot of his music and stuff I, I knew the music but I just didn't know the man behind it at all and it was um I don't know I'm still a little shaken honestly from that documentary it was really uh you know tugged at the heartstrings and really brought up a lot of emotion but no I don't know much about him at all I'm excited to be on here and listen to you guys and and learn more yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be a fifteen-minute podcast or an hour and fifteen minutes, but just maybe we can untangle all of our notes and see what we come up with. Is 
For, for me, r right around Mother's Day, there was a very weird confluence of events where a bunch of paths crossed between life and art and West Coast Project even, and um, even you, Michelle and Mike, with your daughter getting married. And um, I, it was just a weird time because um, Mother's Day, there's there's some cool songs Warren has about kids growing up and his wife's name was Julia. Uh, just, just some weird stuff. So, you know, I don't even know how to start, but just maybe untangle some of our notes and what, what our thoughts are on him. Um, and there's even Mike, there's even a military character that I, that I stuck into this that you might have interest in at the end of the podcast. So, um, okay, sure. he was born in, uh, he was born on September 7th. I think he was born in 1947. Uh, he yep. died at 56. So he's, he died a, a while ago. Born in January, he died in September. Oh, died in September, right? Thank you. Um, I'm here to help. <laughs> and okay, so here we go. He was born the son of a Mormon woman and a Russian Jewish immigrant bookie gangster. Yeah, now, he worked we, for Mickey Cohen. We could drop mics right here and call it a podcast just with that, right? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I know it was really cool to uh, to read that about him. So so back on Mother's Day, I heard the song "Tenderness on the Block," and I post you know just kind of reposted it on my Facebook feed, and just thought it's a really cool song. It's about a girl growing up; she has a young man waiting. Um, and then that was the weekend, you, Michelle. You told me about your daughter's wedding, and you know, of course, Mike, your daughter too. But your, that wedding was was that weekend, I think, or near Mother's Day, wasn't it? It it was Mother's Day weekend, yeah. So did you guys listen to that song? Isn't it kind of a neat song to think of when your your daughter's wedding and Mother's Day kind of co coincide like that? I didn't I didn't hear the song. No, I don't know what song. Okay, we'll play it. I'll play it at the end, and you can listen to okay. it. Um, and then, so, okay, we do these podcasts on West Coast Project. One of them is The Leftovers, and I don't know if you guys are into that, but all the all the theme of The Leftovers is kind of about relationships and grief and losing people and how people deal with that grief and loss and stuff. And I think you've told me you watch it, Michelle, right? The Leftovers, yeah, I've, I've watched it up until this season. I've only watched the first couple of episodes of this this final season, but... But yeah, Mike and I both watched The Leftovers up until this point. Yeah. We're not completely caught up, but yeah. Yeah, so you got this guy, Warren Zevon, finds out he has this diagnosis, and he knew he had some time. He, he thought he had a couple months to live, but he tried to pack in as much living as he could in the final months of his life, and he, he actually ended up living a little bit longer. And yeah, you know if you watch here. that documentary that, you know, what he tried to do to seal his legacy yeah um, it was really telling it was really really touching and i wasn't sure when i first started watching it how i felt about that it felt almost like i mean not to critique him in any way but it almost felt like how could you spend all that time in studio when you've got family you know that you would think you would want to be spending this time with and everything but then as it came out, I think that, that he did a really good, it seemed to show a really good mishmash of both. And the fact that that's what he wanted to leave behind for his family. And plus, he got so much joy, I think, out of making the music that that was his, um, I don't know, what, how would you put it, tribute or whatever, like to living. It was his, it was his way of being grateful, maybe, for well, his it's life. Also, his way of communicating. I mean, this guy, he had. You know, Bob Dylan covering some of his songs, you know, um, I, I remember Mike being washing dishes 
on an aircraft carrier in the middle of the Indian Ocean listening to a Linda Ronstadt album, Poor, Poor, Pitiful Me, while I was washing dishes in the bottom of an aircraft carrier. I was listening to Linda Ronstadt. I had no idea. I didn't know at that time who Warren Zevon was. And then to find out over the last couple of days that he wrote that song and that his version of it, sorry, Linda, is so much better, I thought, than Linda Ronstadt's. And she, you know, achieved a little commercial success with it. And he, uh, I mean, I laughed out loud going down the road today with that, that line about, uh, uh, she was uh, a credit to her gender. You know, I met a girl in, in West Hollywood. You know, I ain't naming names. She really worked me over good. Um, yeah. I James. And then he says, she really worked me over good. Uh, she was a credit to her gender. Uh, she put me through some changes, uh, just like a wearing blender. And I started laughing while I was going down the road. It was just the way he delivered that line. And you can tell this guy, you know, he wrote about, life experiences as it happened to him. He just sat down and wrote it and it, and it went together so well. And, uh, I am a now, I'm now an officially a big, big Warren Zevon fan. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. The more you fall down the rabbit hole, just by reading about him on YouTube comments and Wikipedia, and you just find out all this, all the stuff you never knew about the guy that he was connected to all these contemporary people and artists that kind of cross our podcast paths a few ways. And, and, and our lives a few ways with that Mother's Day type of stuff. And, um, and the other one that's really important to me is my, I, have a, I have a really good friend, really, really close friend who beat cancer about 10 years ago, and he just is going through it again now. So that made me think of him, and he's just starting treatment for that. So anyway, all these things kind of over, overlapping and, and uh, flowing through my head at the time made me think it would be really fun to do a, um, a recap of this guy and what he did and contributed to art and music and all that. His interviews with David Letterman and Letterman asked him, he said he went to Spain. He got he was drunk for like, you know, five, ten years. And he went to Spain and Letterman asked him, what Spain? And he said, uh, I was singing country and western music in an Irish bar. And <laughs> Pain. And, and then that's also where he um, uh, allegedly wrote this uh, song, you know, that's the Headless Thompson Gunner. Um, with, Roland. Uh, yeah, Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. Uh, this mercenary that owned this Irish bar, this former mercenary. Really, he, he just lived a really interesting life. And somebody on that documentary, I forget who said it, but they were, maybe it was uh, Billy Bob Thornton who said that he could tell you a whole story in three minutes. Yeah. Like his music, each song was like a, a complete story. And um, when you've got Bruce Springsteen missing Christmas to come hang out with you because he heard that you were sick. And dying, that's and he wanted you to play with him something. Yeah, and he wanted to. Yeah, and he yeah. went and he played on that final album. You know, the wind with all those other great musicians. You know, those legendary musicians. I knew nothing about this album or the last song that he that he recorded, which oh, is wow. one of my favorite songs I think ever. Now, um, just just really really moving. I'm so glad you um, asked us to do this with you, Mike, because I learned so much about. Somebody I had previously known nothing about. Now I feel like I, I'm, you know, I've lived next door to him for 
for five years. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny, too, because like the Americans, you guys invited me to do your Americans podcast with you when mine kind of had a disruption in its schedule. And, you know, one of the funniest things I wrote down for for Warren Zevon in my notes was his line from um, Lawyers, Guns and Money. I went home with a waitress the way I always do. How was I to know she was with the Russians, too? So the Americans, right? It's perfect for that. Yeah, that's well. No, that was. Uh, I also laughed when I heard that one today too, because I'd never paid any attention other than uh, lawyers, guns, and money. You know, send. You know, we were kids in the seventies. You know, we we're all singing. You know, send lawyers, guns, and money. Like, that's a cool line. And then uh, what you just, the, the one you just, um, you mentioned the the line. It was hilarious. Went home with a waitress like I always do. Yeah, that was fun. Lawyers, guns, yeah. and money fixes everything, right? You could. We could even maybe lump uh, Better Call Saul in there, right, Michelle? Think for sure, yeah. <laughs> so um, my very first podcast I liked when I started listening to podcasts was Behind the Cutting Edge. And I think they played that the uh, song in our intro, My Shit's Fucked Up. By the way, this is explicit, so you got kids in the room, take them out of the room. But um, the name of the song is My Shit's Fucked Up that Warren Zevon created after he found out about his cancer diagnosis. But the guys that were behind Behind the Cutting Edge who did the walking dead podcast first podcast. I really started to think of a, of a form of entertainment. Like it's fun to listen to these guys talk about this show that I just watched. I, I like this. So that really got me back into Warren Zevon too, back like seven or eight years ago. Um, so when I first heard Warren Zevon, it was in 19, like 79 or 80. And I was in college. My roommates had the album excitable boy. And that album is the one with Werewolves of London and Lawyers, Guns, and Money and Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner and Tenderness on the Block, all these songs we're talking about. And, you know, of course, in college, in your dorm room, you play albums like over and over and over. So, you know, I heard all the words and memorized all the words. And, you know, by the time I was done with that first year of college, I was a huge Warren Zevon fan way, way back. So, Wow. I never, uh, never got past Werewolves of London. So um, we talked about some other performers. He wrote for the Turtles. You remember the Turtles? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, he toured with the Everly Brothers. Oh, wow. He was, yeah. ro- he was roommates with Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham before they were part of Fleetwood <laughs> Mac and Famous. Yeah. He was, he was a roommate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we talked about Jackson Brown. Uh, he actually wrote the song Tenderness on the Block with Jackson Brown. And uh, Jackson Brown in some interviews said that the night that they wrote the song, somehow Warren Zevon invited Jackson Brown over there to, to see a banister that had been ripped off the wall just to show it to him. And they got all, you know, they got all high and drunk and they had no memory of what happened. But that when they woke up in the morning, Jackson Brown said we had a song. So somehow in the midst of all that craziness, they wrote this really cool song called tenderness on the block. You mentioned Billy Bob Thornton. He, uh, he was a friend of Billy Bob Thornton because I think they shared a, an apartment building. They were roommates. Next door a, neighbor. Next yeah. door neighbor. Yeah. Um, and they and this, he he had Billy Bob Thornton singing, and I didn't. I don't think I even knew he sung. Yeah, he put Billy Bob Thornton on his on his last album mm-hmm. with all those other guys with uh, with Jackson Brown and and Bruce Springsteen and uh, those other musicians. You know, those two guys from uh, you know Schmidt and Henley from from the Eagles. I mean, it was really a and wasn't Fleetwood there too? Um, or no? I don't think Mick Fleetwood. Okay, was well, he there. was talking in some part of it. I'm not sure yeah, if that was it, but yeah. It, but yeah, I read that also, Mike, about the Everly Brothers, and then he also um, 
played separately with uh, both Everly's on their um, on their solo stuff after after they split. Yeah, so so they um, he was friends with Billy Bob because they both had a obsessive compulsive disorder. He also collaborated with REM. You know, you're the band yes. from your neighborhood. Yeah, um, Athens. Friends with Hunter S. Thompson. Um, he was a musical coordinator for the Rock Bottom Remainders, which is the band of Stephen King, Dave Barry, Matt Groening, and Amy Tan. Oh, wow. The writers, mm-hmm. they have been the band. And then David Letterman. So so David Letterman was a huge fan of Warren Zevon, and between 1982 and 2000, Warren filled in for Paul Schaefer as the band leader on Late Night, like, 20 times so he's a huge fan and they were a fan of his uh and he he did an extended stay on late night when paul schaefer did the blues brothers movie in 2000 so uh they really liked him and they relied on his musical talent to help the the late night show yeah yeah he um i also read where he had um that that one of those songs he wrote on that last album the wind uh, disorder in the house he won a grammy uh best rock performance by a duo with Bruce Springsteen for that song. Wow. Yeah. Won two Grammys, actually. Uh, the album itself uh, got got a, an award for the best contemporary folk album, which was surprising to me that he called himself a folk singer, but you can hear that last song. Um, what, what's that? What, Remember Me? Or what, what was the name of that, that last song that he, that was on the wind there? Um, Oh, um, keep me in your heart for a while. Yeah. And he sounds really Dylan-esque. I mean, I could hear, I could almost hear Bob Dylan, uh, singing that song. And then I thought, okay, well there's, there's where the, the folk, um, comes in. Yeah. So when, when Zivan got sick with his diagnosis, Letterman had him on as the only guest for one whole show. He was the only guest and, he talked about his illness like just openly. You can you can probably find that on YouTube too and watch. I watched it. it. I watched it October yeah. the thirtieth of two thousand two, and he had bought a new suit uh, that night. And it he was, got a gray one. He yeah, pointed yeah. out. Yeah, he he bought a new suit to go on the show, and he kind of tossed it around back and forth whether he wanted to go on the show. But he said since Sammy Davis Jr. you know used to dance Mr. Bojangles when he had cancer and he was dying, he was going to go. On the Letterman show. But he had to fly all the way across the country. Now, you have to remember this was two months after he was diagnosed and the doctors had told him he had about three months to live. So this was like a big deal for him to go there. He was having some trouble breathing at that point. Yeah. Um, I don't think we've said, but he had uh, mesothelioma. Yep. Lung cancer. No cure a for specific that. specific kind of lung cancer. Paul and Schaefer played uh, I'll Sleep When I'm Dead as he was walking in the studio. I thought that was just funny as hell yeah so if you watch that pod uh, not a pot if you watch that letterman show is pretty brave of letterman the way he talked to him he's like what could you share with us about the fact that you know you're going to die really soon you know was there anything you can share and he just said yeah enjoy every sandwich and, yeah um, yeah you know it's really silly and silly slash profound that you got to enjoy every single moment that you have which what better advice can anyone give you um yeah He's also joking about his illness. You know, he said, I, I might have made the tactical error of not going to physicians for 20 years. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I want to rethink that one. Too late. But I thought one of the things that struck me, Mike, was how gracious Letterman was to him. Because Letterman is not always that gracious a guy. As a matter of fact, I've 
you know, years, uh, in years past, I was a big Letterman fan and he was, he got kind of ugly to a few people and I just didn't really care for the show anymore. And then to see him there so respectfully with, with Warren Zevon and Warren Zevon told him, you know, your show's the best friend that my music's ever had. And I thought that was, that was pretty touching and such a, such a, a compliment and such a, such a great comment to give, you know, Letterman on, yeah, on his, it's on his very television sweet. show. Then at the end of that 2002 show, he gave Letterman the guitar that he would always bring on the show as a gift and said, here, take this, take, take, take it and keep good care of it for me. Yeah. Take care of my guitar for me. Wow. I know. At the, yeah. That's, that's, that's really, I mean, what do you say? And they also showed some people waiting outside, like the back door where you leave uh, the Ed Sullivan studio, I guess is where they were. And um, they were waiting for him and, and they uh, were crying like fans yeah. just waiting to get a chance. And he was, I'm going to get tore up. I'm. <laughs> he was so gracious. Yeah. He was so sweet. The way he responded and reacted to them and, and spent just a couple few minutes there with him well yeah and he was also talking about having to say goodbye to new york and everything because i mean you know i'm sure he knew that was the last time he was going to be there that trip was really taxing on him and everything um so it it was very moving yeah very he kept moving. saying I'm, I'm really tired and this was really good for me to do this but i'm really tired you could just tell he was like wearing out right after that show yeah um yeah, so just a really interesting guy. He uh, he had he was an alcoholic for a long time, and then in 1986 he gave up alcohol, and he I think he gave up smoking, and you know then this mesothelioma kind of overcame him. But um, he made a joke about that even. He said, you know, I quit smoking five years ago, but wolfing down joints and silk cut cigarettes probably didn't help the matter. Uh, yeah. Silk cut cigarettes are some Japanese high end tobacco. Oh, really? Um, I, I didn't know that. Never mm -hmm. heard of it. I didn't either. He also had a phobia of doctors. Um, so that's why he didn't go to the doctor ever. Yeah, he only went to his dentist. Yeah. He, yeah, he said he went to his dentist when he was short of breath. Yeah, he sent him to uh, a heart doctor. He yeah. He congestive heart failure. Who then took him to a cardiologist yeah. because he was in Canada and he was playing at a concert and he said he was having a hard time breathing and he uh, thought that it might have been the altitude or something, kept asking people about the altitude. And then when he got back home, he realized that he was still having a hard time breathing. Yeah, so, I mean, it's sad the way he died and the, what he did, but it, I think there's a lot to celebrate about the guy, too. He's pretty brave, knowing that you got three months to live. What do you do? Do you go just sit sit in your room with the curtains drawn, or do you try to make the most of it? And he, I think he tried to make the most of it and leave behind a legacy. And it was almost victorious the way he went out. And, I don't know. I, I like the way they portrayed him as just almost a normal guy. He's was, he was buying that suit for the David Letterman show, and he's like, God, why, why are you giving me all this attention? I'm just buying a suit. You know, I'm just a normal guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. The only thing that really kind of bothered me was, was you know, he, he continued to smoke cigarettes and uh, do stuff like drink Mountain Dew. You know, Michelle and I are a little kind of, uh, I guess people would call us food nuts. And we believe that you can treat yourself with food and also also by abstaining from certain foods, sugar uh, being one, or any, any type of poison that you ingest. I had a friend here in town who was a 
big, big time bail bondsman. When I was a kid, he was a bail bondsman. When I got in the bail bond business, I joined the Navy with his, his nephew. When I got in the bail bond business, you know, he's in his 50s, probably close to 60. You know, I'm in my you know early 30s, and he uh, came to my office. And I haven't seen him, Mike, since the third grade. And the guy walked into my office, and he talked to me just like he did when I was in the third grade. He walked to the door and say, he looked at me, and he said, you didn't need this big office. He goes, come here, I want to show you what you should do. And he started telling me, he broke out some pack of cigarettes, he started smoking cigarettes, and he said, no, Mike, I've got brain cancer. This has nothing to do with it, the doctors told me. But I don't believe that you can ingest poison and help um, and help um, um, your, you know, your, your medical condition. I don't think that the poison contributes to the healthy cells. So that's the only thing, you know, the only criticism I would have of, uh, and, and respectfully, I, I submit that because I wouldn't want to offend anybody related to Warren Zevon or, uh, you know, his friends or family, because I think, I think he's, I mean, just one of the coolest guys I've ever. Well, that, about. and also knowing what we know about mesothelioma, a guy from our church, not just a guy, the guy who built our church, he owned Aztec industries. You could probably Google him, Mike, his name was Don Brock. No relation, although I was on the board of trustees with him, and I used to joke with him all the time. I'm going to go come sit with you, Uncle Don. And of course, you know he was a billionaire with a B, and uh, he got mesothelioma, and he was gone. How long did it take him to show? It was a long, yeah. Yeah, he was gone in a, a year, a little over a year, and he was. Um, so we've got some experience with with mesothelioma. If anybody could have beaten mesothelioma with or, money or with doctors with or anything or, like that, or care yeah. or anything, it would have been this guy. So when you get mesothelioma, the conventional wisdom says that by the time they diagnose you, you've already it's too late. Yeah, you, to, you're, you're already done. It's my uncle died of mesothelioma too. So it's a really nasty cancer. It's no, you can't get out of it. Yeah, it's really so it's kind yes. of a, it's kind of a born of man-made materials cancer, isn't it? Like asbestos and working around yes. insulation and stuff. Exactly, exactly, and and I guess so. So I guess my criticism of the Mountain Dew and the cigarettes is pretty much unfounded because he couldn't have. He couldn't yeah, have and the, the only thing I'll say to that too is, who knows what's clocks ticking inside the guy and what he feels like okay I, you know I, I they gave me three months I'm at six months I, maybe I got a chance maybe I'll, but who knows how he might have felt for the worse and you know you might i think when you're about to die like that you may start to know you know that it's the end is getting close and because they also said he fell back he relapsed on his alcoholism then too so did he i didn't hear that yeah so you know i don't know if i harbor much a criticism for what he does in this final couple months not knowing how he felt on the inside i would yeah how how would any of us know i mean we we know what we think we would do. We know how we think we would react. And we've got an opinion, but until something like that actually hits you, you really don't know what you're going to do or how you're going to react or what you're going to do or what you're not going to do. I mean, I don't know that I wouldn't, uh, you know, go get a jug of wild turkey and, and just go that way. Yeah. So he got diagnosed in fall of 2002, and he lived till June of 2003, and he got to see his two grandsons twin grandsons get born um in june i guess he lived a little past june but that's when they were born and of yeah. course he released that final documentary and album the wind that we were talking about with all those 
all those people, Henley, Springsteen, Jackson Brown, Timothy B. Schmidt, David Lindley, Billy Bob Thornton, Emmylou Harris, Tom Petty, Dwight Yoakam. Um, so, yeah, you can watch that all on VH1 and find it on YouTube and stuff. Um, and then two weeks after that album came out is when he died. I guess so September, September of 2003. Um, yeah, he lived over a year when they told him three months so you know who knows what he was doing or how well he did or what he did and how it might have affected the length of time that he was there he didn't take any conventional treatment I don't think and I also was going to say that while it's um, I mean it's completely horrible and it's horrifying you picture being told he said that he had to go through the whole gambit of emotions in a day because when he went to the doctor he was lucky enough to get like taken in and taken back and have everything done. And he learned it all in a day. The stuff that a lot of people have unfolded over the course of a few weeks and stuff. But, and that sounds so horrifying, but at the same time, I mean, he really got to know and then live it out, you know, kind of, kind of the way he wanted to, he got to take that last little bit of time and do what he wanted to with it. And I feel like from what I saw watching him, that he appreciated the fact that he got to do that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. I I think anyone now, and you know, it's been 13, 14 years since he died, but anyone doing research on him now would have to come to the conclusion like, God, what, what a kind of a victorious life, right? he he died, but he did what he could with what he had left, and it wasn't like it wasn't um, almost wasn't sad that he died. It was I, th- I think it was a celebration of what he did with the final time that he had left. So I, you know, I just thought that was pretty cool. Um, and you know, he's got a bunch of great music. Still sounds good. The nineteen seventy eight album, people still like that music. So, um. So, Mike, I thought you might be interested in this other guy who had a similar fate in life. You're kind of a military guy. So um, this guy was uh, connected to the Battle of Shiloh, the uh, the Battle of Chickamauga. He was yeah. a, a member of the Division of the Mississippi, and he was a president. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he was connected to Chattanooga. So Ulysses S. Grant had a similar illness. He got a sore throat late in life. And it was probably because of all the cigars he smoked, they said. But he had cancer and a short diagnosis. And he did a lot with the end of his life as well. He wrote his his uh, remembrance of his life and, and published it and gave all the money to his family. His memoirs brought about $450,000 in royalties to his family. I didn't know that. But let me, let me handle these in order. Um, I'm, I'm like... I'm retired, so I'm more than kind of a military guy. <laughs> and, and Ulysses S. Grant was a northern general, and we're pretty proud of the Battle of Chickamauga in that uh, the South, uh, the Confederacy, won that battle. And had they had any kind of aerial surveillance at the time, they would have been able to march straight to Washington, and, and that would have been the end of it. There you go. I heard something rustling. Can you hear us now? Yeah. Could Damn. you guys hear me? Could you guys hear me? Yeah, I could hear you the whole time, but I couldn't get my um, the power flickered and it knocked the whole computer off. And then when the computer came back on and I called you back, I was really pushing it to call you back quickly. And then Skype booted off to update. 
So yeah, Mike, I, I hear you too. To... And I had the perfect comeback joke, and you did, couldn't hear me, or I couldn't hear. No, you. I heard it. I heard it. No, <laughs> All right, so I'm going to say it again. So the Ulysses <laughs> S. Grant's on the wrong side of the fence, but come on, you guys, that was 154 years ago. You don't have to hang up on me. Yeah, yeah I don't know if was. you know people no, from the south. No, so. but like I was saying. Uh, we believe in states' rights here in the South, and we believe in lack of federal uh, centralization of federal government, and uh, we think it's gotten out of hand. So anyways, having enough political stuff. The other thing that um, I don't think the cigars got him, because I just got through cutting the grass, and I had an exquisite cigar the whole time I was cutting the grass. And of course, you know, we're health nuts, and I believe that all cigars are organic and are good for you. And like President Clinton, I never inhale. So I think I'm going to get by with that. But I had no idea that uh, Grant died of something uh, similar to 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 Zevon. No, no idea at all. Yeah, maybe not so, too similar medically, but he knew he was dying. He was just exhausted, and he was older too. He wasn't 53. I'm sure he was probably older. But his family was broke. Even after being president, his family was destitute. And um, and he scored four hundred fifty thousand dollars in royalties. And and I think I misspoke. I said Warren Zevon's wife or ex-wife was Julia. It's Grant's wife was Julia. Julia Grant received that money. So he worked his butt off knowing he was dying and left his family a really nice legacy. That's really pretty, pretty kind. Did you happen to see um, Zevon's son, Jordan? Did you hear anything about him? They showed him playing playing some music and singing with his dad after the diagnosis and everything. And he, uh, you talk about a great voice. He just wowed me. Yeah, we didn't talk too much about Warren's voice, but God, what a voice, man! And he's kind of a he. He did does not look like his voice sounds. <laughs> he looks scraggly and kind of thin, and and not like his voice is at all. His voice was really powerful. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah, I agree. All right, you guys. Well, this was pretty fun to do. You know, I don't know. I don't know what we can make out of this, but I mean, it's fun to learn about these histories of people. And you know, you waste a lot of time watching stupid TV sometimes. Why not learn something, right, and find something in- interesting historical about people and who they were connected to, and you know, kind of what they mean to you in life. And back around that Mother's Day weekend, this guy crisscrossed my path a few times, and it was just intriguing to me to to talk about it. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. I thought, I thought it was, it was great. And you're right. It gave us a chance to learn something and, uh, really, you know, get to know kind of Warren Zevon 15 years after his death. Very meaningful. Um, learning the stuff that I learned and, and the impact that it's had on a lot of the music that I've loved over the years and never even realized, um, I mean, how could that be a bad thing? You know, plus, just the guy seemed like a great person, too. I thought so. I thought, yeah. Somebody you'd want to be friends with. Somebody, somebody you'd want to be next door to. Yeah. Have over for dinner or something. Well, yeah. Let's not get carried away. <laughs> all he ate was sandwiches. Yeah, not all, not all those famous people turn out to be nice, and he, he sure did look like a nice guy, so... Yeah, yeah. just a real cool guy, real interesting guy. Well, and very beloved, too. Yeah, he had a lot of friends that cared a lot about him. And anybody who's got a lot of, you know, never trust anybody who doesn't have old friends, is what I say. And he had a lot of old friends, and they cared very much about him. Oh, yeah, that's a cool cool philosophy. Yeah. 
So, so how's everything with your daughter's wedding and all that? Let's leave this on a good, happy note. Did, was that a kind of a super celebration? I guess it must have been coinciding with Mother's Day. She's moved back in, and he oh, had no. more. <laughs> that is not true. So I got to play um, shit's fucked up at the back and the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> no, they uh, actually just came by right before we jumped on the podcast, and um, <clears throat> I still get to see her all the time. I was talking to my other daughter about it today. It's almost like she hasn't even left because she was gone so much when she lived here, and now she's here so much now that she's doesn't live here that it doesn't feel a whole lot different and she's really happy and taking on you know grabbing life by the horns and you know going about everything and having all the adult you know owning a home having a husband responsibilities and everything and it's it's great and I think uh I just I just think it's great a lot of people tend to get um upset over their children leaving and stuff like that and it's you know of course you miss them and you have the whole you know I'm torn I'm really ambivalent because I want her to have her life it's what I raised her to do but I mean you know I raised her for 22 years and and I miss her and everything but I mean it's exactly it's it's just exactly what you would want them to do it's just it's just perfect so how can you possibly feel sad about that in any real way. All right. Well, cool. Let's leave that with tenderness on the block and perfect daughters and perfect parents and just being happy. And <laughs> if, if you guys think of another uh, YouTube or an artist or something, you want to do another podcast on it, let's do it. This, this was fun. Absolutely. Love yeah. to do it. Yeah, great idea, Mike. It was a good, good yeah. idea. Thank you. All right. Thanks much. for joining in. We'll talk to you next time on either... Tribal Rants, Scathing Tweets, or West Coast Project. Yep. We'll see you somewhere. See ya. Okay. Bye-bye. Where's your pretty little girl tonight? Try to run before she can walk. That's right. She's going out. She has a young man waiting. She's going out. She has a young man waiting I know she's wide-eyed She'll be streetwise To the line In the job talk It's fine true love And tenderness on the block She's coming in And when she's home Don't ask her where she's been Cause she's going out She has a young man waiting <laughs> Yes, yeah, she's going out She can't keep a young man waiting She'll be okay Better have her day. It's a long way, it's a long walk, but you find true love and tenderness on the block.
she has to see her go She has a mind of her own, you know She's growing up She has a young man waiting Yeah, she's growing up She has a young man waiting Well, she's growing up She has a whole life waiting Little girl's growing up She has a whole life waiting Mama, little girl's growing up She has a whole life waiting Our little girl is growing up She has a whole life waiting Our little girl is growing up She has the whole world waiting Our little girl is growing up She has the whole world waiting She's gonna be alright. I know she'll be alright. She's gonna be alright. I know she'll be alright. I know she'll be alright. It should be alright. She'll be alright. I said she'll be alright. I'm sure she'll be alright. I'm sure she'll be alright. I'm sure she'll be alright. I said she'll be alright. I said she'll be alright. Ah, ah, ah.